Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I'm the co-founder of Agenda Media, which is the publisher of Women's Agenda. And I've got with me here on the line, Georgie Dent and Shivani Gopal, my fellow podcast co-hosts. How are you both? Starting with you, Georgie. I am very well. It is always such a treat to see your faces over Zoom and hear your voices. How are you, Shivani? I am great. I, I agree. It's like a little social gathering to see both your faces and have a good old chat off. It's wonderful. It is. It is. We've had a few technical glitches thanks to my six-year-old son stealing the headphones that I would usually use to record. So we've adapted fairly quickly as most people are when they are working from home at the moment. But we're here just about 26 minutes later than we originally thought that would actually start recording. Um, so today on the podcast, we are talking about women's leadership and how it's winning on COVID-19 and what are some of the trends that we can pull out to determine why. We'll also discuss putting gender equality at the centre of uh, response and recovery efforts, as the UN has called for. And finally, uh, we want to talk a little bit more about this moment of working from home. Will it stick? Is it a productivity experiment? What is it? What meaning can we take from this period if we can take any meaning at all? So starting with the first topic, now we know that there are not many female heads of state across the world, but as countries respond to coronavirus, we are seeing some differences in how women lead and some added success along the way. Earlier on in this week, Tanya Kovac shared some analysis noting that there are just 16 women out of 193 UN-recognised nation states leading those countries. So that's just 8% of leadership globally. But she did found that there are 10 nations that are successfully flattening the curve right now in coronavirus and 40% of them are led by women. It, they are amazing statistics and something that I really do believe that we need to pause and consider why? 8% of leaders, 40% of the nations that are doing better on saving lives of their citizens, as Georgie, you put it this week, and I've just quoted you. Um, I kind of think when I look at like what's going on in Britain right now, where Boris Johnson was intentionally shaking people's hands a few weeks back, where he was talking about herd immunity, um, where he himself, um, unfortunately, did succumb to the virus. He's now out of hospital. Um, but then, you know, across the other side of the world, when I think about Donald Trump openly saying that there's nothing to worry about, if just, you know, a couple of months back, um, really prioritising the economy, now defunding the World Health Organisation and suggesting states might be forced to reopen for business. I just think ego, confidence, I don't know what's going on there, but it's not fighting the pandemic. It is not what you need to fight a virus. Um, Georgie, you wrote a great piece on this this week. Where, where do you... What, what, do you, what do you think is behind why women leaders seem to be doing a pretty good job at the moment when it comes to leading their countries through this pandemic? Well, look, my um, analysis of it is that, and I, I, look, I admit that this is fairly rudimentary, but I think that the traditional macho style of leadership where you do have issues sort of of ego and this sense of power being, you know, how strong you are, I don't think that is working particularly well against coronavirus. What the countries that happen to be led by women who, who are sort of doing a really good job of sort of flattening the curve and keeping as many people as safe from this virus as possible is that they seem to be a little bit more innovative 
there a little bit. I mean, we've spoken about Jacinda Ardern and her leadership being very authentic. And I think, so I think when you look at the way that Angela Merkel um, approached this, she was really decisive from the get-go about this. Taiwan was similar. Jacinda Ardern was similar. They sort of seem to have approached this problem with... I, I imagine there's definitely fear there, but there is this sense that actually doing going fast is probably better than being perfect and trying to maintain business as usual for as long as possible is not something that they've entertained and I think they've reaped the benefits from that because they have sort of thought a bit outside the box and they have been willing to sort of make difficult decisions early. And I think that that is... It shows... Um, sort of some willingness to fail, uh, which I think we don't often see. I, I, my view is that we don't often see a willingness to be wrong from the sort of macho style of leadership. And that goes for politics as well as com companies. But I think that being open to failing is something that is leading to success here because um, they've sort of just made decisions early and that seems to have helped. Mm. On that macho style of leadership, I can't help but think that maybe, maybe in the past it's gotten somewhere when it comes to, to trade wars or um, even just regular war and regular conflict. Maybe it's gotten somewhere. I mean, I'll actually argue the other way, but, but that's not what this is. This is so different. This is something that you know, no leader has experienced, no leader alive today has experienced on this scale. It's a crisis that nobody really has the experience with. And I think, Georgie, I agree. It's that sense of being willing to take a risk and being willing to ask citizens to do things that they haven't asked them previously. And I mean, we have to look at our own government as well and say that, um, that they are also not led by a woman, but they're also doing a good job at the moment in flattening the curve. We hope that continues, but we've definitely seen a trend on that path at the moment and big, big risks taken, a lot of money being spent as well at the same time. Um, Shivani, what do you, do you, do you see anything different in terms of how female leaders are, are responding and, and why it might be leading to more success? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, people like us have been talking quite a lot around the importance of female leaders because of our very natural skills that we tend to display openly skills like um, altruism and empathy and of course authenticity that you know Jacinda Ardern is known for so much and that sense of collectiveness and that human first approach and it's interesting we shouldn't talk about these styles of leadership being novel but they are because the masses being of female leaders are rather novel it's it's normal to have a large collective of male leaders rather than a large collective of women leaders. And so when we see women leaders out there doing the right thing, it's so different and it, and it creates different results, better results. And we've seen this time and time again. Now, you know, I, I don't know what it would be like in war times, but I would wager that it would possibly, um, you know, we would possibly be able to, um, you know, avoid wars altogether if women were in charge. Um, but, you, you know, you think about different examples. You look at the GFC, and, and you see that countries with women in charge fared better overall than countries with men in charge. You look at, um, you know, Germany with, you know, Angela Merkel and you can see that, you know, they have tested um, more people per capita than any other large country. Um, you know, to give you an example, you know, almost 16,000 people per million versus um, approximately 
approximately 4,000 people per, per million in the UK, female leader, male leader, someone who really took action first versus someone who really tried to, you know, stake stoicism and defend first. And Georgie, to, to your point around the macho-ness bit. And I think it boils down to this. I think that the difference with female leaders is, in general, we are looking at how we can improve a situation, how we can collectively bring things up. Whereas with male leaders, the machoism, the egoism, the slab that it puts on that is how can I prove myself? So it's a focus on proving versus improving. And when you do that, when you focus on proving yourself, it's that stoicism, no, everything's fine, it's denial, it's I'm in charge, I've done this. Um, so we're all on Zoom and I'm, I'm just imitating my body image of Trump, right? Um, so I want our listeners to, you know, feel that, you know, through the, um, through the audio. Um, but that's what happens when you focus on just proving yourself and staking your claim, your authority, your knowledge. Um, and if you're wrong, everyone pays the price. And, and of course, we can see that, you know, America's paid a very big toll, um, you know, with, with the huge, I mean, the, the last I checked, it was what, 21,000 people who had died. Uh, it's probably higher now. I think that was yesterday's stats. Um, and so, yes, they're, they're paying very big prices for ego. Um, and it just goes to show that, you know, the women's style of leadership um, really, really goes a long way. Again, not just as we can see in times of COVID-19, not just in times of the GFC, but there are many studies out there as well that talk about the fact that, you know, companies who have more than 50% senior women leaders are generally more profitable, more productive and have higher morale. So it certainly will, wins all round across various sectors of leadership when it comes to women. Mm, I like that proving versus improving. Impro I think you should yeah, write an article think, on that for us. Um, <laughs> Done. And something that I was thinking about then, following on from your remarks that I think are very valid, that I do think the Australian government um, and the state governments are doing a, a pretty good job in terms of managing Australia's um, response. I think you, you, can, you can look at the figures and the fact that we are still, um, I mean, any death is too many deaths, but, but we've managed to contain the numbers far better than um, some of the worst case sort of forecasts were. But what I was also thinking is where I think the government has been most successful is when they have been more innovative, when they have left their sort of standard modus operandi. I think, for example, the solutions that they've come up with for the JobKeeper, it is so different from anything else. And I think it is... It's a response. Obviously, it's not going to be perfect and there are going to be some, some hiccups and hitches and I know it's not a perfect solution for every single person, but it is really virtually everyone agreed this is a terrific attempt at giving as many Australians as possible the financial security they need for us to wear this I think the same thing with childcare, when they basically made the call that we're just going to make it free for six months, we're going to take the other system and put it away. They really did step away from their comfort zone in making those decisions and those policies. And I think it's, it's interesting as an observer to think that that's where they have probably had the most success is when they have been willing to sort of um, take a risk. Yeah, mm. absolutely. And I think it'd be interesting to see what pieces of this actually stick and what pieces also we take forward and, and say, hey, you know, it is actually okay to spend this amount of money on, on these outcomes here. You don't necessarily need to wait for a crisis or a pandemic in this, in this way. 
Um, I mean, the amount of spending has been extraordinary. I know Christine Zirica wrote a piece about this today, talking about just the mind-boggling numbers that we're, we're now dealing with in terms of the money that is being spent here in Australia and obviously all over the world through various stimulus packages. But here in Australia, it just makes you think, I mean, we may not have realised that there was the capacity for that level of spending in the past. Mm. And, and now we see what can be done and what is possible within the space of a few very, very short weeks. So we wait to see what happens next. I mean, obviously, it, it, it's going to be tough and we can't necessarily see that we're, we're set for some kind of, uh, you know, re- recovery or to anything close to business as usual for a long time. Um, but on that, when we look at recovery and what the recovery might look like, um, which brings me to the second topic. I mean, there is a lot of talk about what life and the economy might look like on the other side of this. I don't think there's any clear cut division in what the sides will be, because I think there'll be some aspect of this lingering for a very long time to come. But there are obviously, um, as we talk about the huge stimulus packages that have been created internationally, I wonder how, it doesn't seem like many are actually considering gender at this point when really this is an opportunity to actually put women's needs and gender equality firmly on the table to enter a new economic phase and to enter a stage that really values uh, caring and unpaid work and all that, that, that unpaid um, invisible work that's actually going on behind the scenes. We also need to make sure that women are involved in the recovery efforts so that women have a place at the table so that the needs of a broader, the, the needs of women are actually considered and not forgotten. And we need to make sure that these sorts of stimulus packages um, internationally and, and the, the work that we do globally takes into account the fact that more girls will probably be out of school as a result of this pandemic. And we've seen really great research on that this week, um, which draws on the experience of um, uh, the Ebola outbreaks. Uh, we need to look at the fact that more women, again, globally, will be taking on more unpaid work because uh, kids are home from school, preschools, daycares are closed in many parts of the world. And naturally, there is going to be a lot more caring work that needs to be done. Also, I saw from the UN this week that 60% of women work in the informal economy in some way. And they are the jobs that are at the most risk at the moment with millions of those jobs already disappearing. Shivani, are you optimistic at this point regarding when we talk about recovery efforts, if we can get to a place where these sorts of issues are considered? I wish I was optimistic. I think uh, the both of you know me to be a very optimistic person and I'm always looking for the light at the end of the tunnel. Unfortunately, I, I actually have grave fears for the progress of feminism and gender equality um, out of COVID-19. And the reason for that, and and the best way that I can describe it is, I feel as though in terms of the amount of progress that we've made, um, not just as a nation, but globally around the focus and importance of gender equality is going to, and and feminism and the voice of feminism um, and the, the space that feminism has now taken in society, legitimately as it should, I feel like we've got, we are going to take a step back or, or I fear rather, I don't want to be right on this, um, that we will be taking a step back by, ten, by five to 10 years. And the closest example of this I can give you is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Um, you know, at, at first women didn't have anything. So just getting the vote 
um, you know, that the right to vote was a huge win. Um, and then just getting the, you know, ability to um, legally be paid equally was a huge win. Of course, there are huge, um, you know, societal and economical inequalities at play in any case, and we're still fighting that today. But there's going, I feel as though there's this huge reset where there's going to be this boost of gratitude. We should be so grateful for everything that we lost yesterday that we now have. Everything has now come back. We've lost so many jobs. People should be grateful they've got jobs. Companies can't afford to pay salary. We should be grateful that we've got a salary altogether. And so think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's just physical security, like the home, right? So you've got your home. What else can you ask for? Now you've got a little bit more. What else can you ask for? And I fear that as a result of this, we're going to go back five to 10 years as a result of that. And that truly worries me. And so I think that in order to avoid that, organizations like Women's Agenda, like The Remarkable Woman, and many other great organizations that do the work that we do, we need to be busy out there making noise and talking about the amount of space that women need to be taking. Angela, as you've said, we need to be you know, really focused on the fact that women are participating in many of the industries that are actually going out of work. Um, in any case, they're earning on average 14% less, but depending on the industry, far, far more, less than that. Um, so, so these are things that we need to be talking about it and really making a song and dance about, of course, even with domestic violence support, I agree with both of you. Our, our government's done a great job um, with their response, both state and, and, uh, and national. But at the same time, uh, we didn't really get domestic violence support where we really needed it. We got it with health lines and mental health, not really with rehousing women where we really needed that support. So I, I think that focus is going to be really important in order to be where we should be going forward. Mm. There is one positive that I just sort of thought of as you were talking, Shivani, but I mean, there was... As I was doing that, doom and gloom. As Sorry, you were talking your doom and gloom, I did think of one positive thing that comes from, right. um, again, this piece that Christine has uh, written for us and was just published today. And she shares a stat and they're looking at the fact that 23 of the 30 lowest paid jobs are, in, are female-dominated jobs. And so, and, but they're also jobs that are on the front line of the pandemic right now. So, I mean, she didn't put this in so many words, but one thing that we can look at is say, well, maybe this is an opportunity to reset how we value that sort of work. Now is the time that we're starting to rethink how we value educators, teachers, nurses, cleaners, uh, supermarket staff, people on, who, who are considered the front line and the most essential of the essential workers at the moment. It's very different to the t how we would have, you know, valued a lot of people's jobs in the past. And so I hope that we take that forward and really start to rethink how we value work, particularly in a lot of these jobs and professions that are dominated by women. Yeah, I think you're I, right. I, also, I wanted to say that while I do definitely share the same concerns, um, and I think that there are some really, really legitimate worrying signs um, in terms of the experience that women and girls will be having worldwide during this pandemic, just because in a sort of crisis situation, so many of those inequities are compounded and exacerbated. Um, and I am really aware of the fact that this is going to be, it already is devastating, the, the increase in um, calls for help um, in terms of domestic violence alone are terrifying. But I do think that there is something, there has been a sort of fundamental shift, I think, in Australia about the awareness of how fragile 
economic security is for so many Australians. And I think that that is something that can be an opportunity for women because I think that, I mean, we've known for a long time that the, the homelessness rates among older women are incredibly alarming and they indicate, they basically, it's the culmination of all of the inequities that women face compounded over the course of their lives. And then at the end of it, they've got no financial security and instead they're facing poverty when they've spent their lives working and caring. And I think that there's been this sort of arrogance around that, that all oh, it's just because they made bad decisions or, you know, they didn't, they didn't equip themselves appropriately so that they could withstand the sort of um, realities of a life. And I think what this has shown is that so many people have been brought to the brink of financial, hopefully not financial ruin, but I think for a lot of Australians, they are facing a financially stressful position that they probably didn't envisage. And I think that so many of the, uh, so much of the response and in terms of government stimulus has been aimed at giving people this sort of baseline of we just want as many people to survive as possible in a financial sense. Mm. And I think that is where there's an opportunity to really elaborate on that and say, actually, do you know what? Having a safety net and having that baseline is something that we don't just need in a crisis. We need that the whole time. And we need, I think, particularly when you then examine the fact that so much of people's survival at the moment is actually dependent on the work of underpaid women in terms of you know, educators, in terms of people who are working in supermarkets. So many of those jobs mm. are critical at the moment. And I think that if you sort of take that whole picture together, there is um, an opportunity to really create a different conversation in Australia about how equity looks. Absolutely. And I think that we are having that conversation. And I also wonder when you see, say, the popularity ratings of leaders going up at this point, and you wonder, you know, what kind of flow on effect will that have for the future regarding how leaders perceive um, how they'll be seen uh, amongst the population? So, so I, I, I do, I'm optimistic that there are some sticking points from this. I think globally, there are a lot of concerns, um, particularly as we see this pandemic start to take hold in uh, developing countries across the world. Um, I think we're really yet to see the full, uh, how, just how devastating that could be and, and how that will disrupt, like I said, when we go back to thinking about um, uh, childhood marriage, I mean, how that could lead to more childhood marriage, how it could lead to um, more girls out of high school and other things and more women having to take on a lot more of the caring responsibilities. So something to keep in mind. Um, so moving on to a different topic now, a final topic, um, there's, you know, for those who are working from home at the moment, who have the ability and the capability to do that at the moment, these are certainly interesting times. I don't think that um, anyone could have predicted, obviously, when it comes to the work from home component, that how quickly organisations, uh, particularly big employers, would find themselves adapting to using new technology and to bringing staff uh, on board from home and managing in a completely different way that no longer relies on being able to see people sitting at a desk. So this is an interesting time. Um, and again, we're looking at how much of this might stick beyond this period and whether or not this can or should be some kind of 
experiment in productivity regarding whether or not this type of work is, uh, this is how um, office work and, and jobs that can be done from home should be done from home or if we should really be in an office. So I think we've all got varying, uh, varying opinions on this. My sense, first of all, on the idea of it being a productivity experiment is that I caution against it being a productivity experiment purely from the point of view of employers looking at staff and thinking about how productive staff can be at this time because I think we do have to take into account the fact that this is a crisis. We are crisis working. We're not just working from home. We're actually crisis working. We're adapting to the pandemic and the situation that's going on right now. We're having to learn how to use new technology very, very quickly. We're having to learn how to do jobs from home very, very quickly. And we're also having to uh, often have other responsibilities going on in the background, like um, kids home from school, kids home from daycare, um, less access to grandparent care. So that's not everyone's situation, but obviously there are a large number of working parents out there who are experiencing that. Not to mention the fact that this is actually quite an emotional time as well, and maybe not the right period to look at whether or not people are uh, completely there and able to to contribute in the way that they were previously. Shivani, I've said my little piece on the productivity idea. I feel like you <laughs> might have some different opinions here, so let me know. <laughs> look, I, I certainly do. I think that, you know, first of all, it's really important that um, you do you and you honour what it is that your body, your mind, your soul needs. And taking into account that that could change on a daily or a weekly basis. And for me, you know, sort of mid-March was a big period of upheaval. And I went through a period where I was glued to the screen. And I guess, you know, there was a very, very high level of panic within my body and constantly checking the news, checking social media, checking any kind of news bite. I was very reactionary on everything that I did. And it took me quite a while to settle into this new normal. But when I did, I was able to take a stock take of, if this is the new normal going forward, how, how did I want to operate in this new normal? Taking, taking into account that on that day, I was feeling very logical and rational. Um, and there will be days where I may be emotional and I may need to just take some time out to, to heal through this, through this time of anxiety and uncertainty. Um, but at the same time, I found that I've been able to create these new normals and I have been able to, you know, really... You know, I don't know if I'd say I've increased my productivity, but keep a really steady level of productivity and push boulders off my plate that I've always been wanting to do because I've actually found that in many ways, and of course, please take this with a pinch of salt. I'm not saying this in an insensitive way at all to all the people who've gotten sick and, you know, all of the, the upheaval that's happening in the world right now. This is just me trying to be positive. Um, in many ways, the world has slowed down. And it's enabled me the time and space to be able to do some of the things that I've always wanted to do. And really, there's only so much Netflix that one can watch. I'm ashamed to say, or maybe proud to say, I don't know, depending on who's listening. Um, but I, I can probably relate to those memes of, have you finished Netflix? Because I probably have finished, you know, all that Netflix has to offer as well, right? Um, 
but there's only so much that you can watch. And I've been able to really get out there and, you know, push through some goals and it feels really therapeutic. And so I think that, you know, yes, there's a lot of memes going around, um, you know, if by the end of this pandemic, you haven't had a new skill, you haven't done a new course, you haven't started that new business, you didn't like the time, you just like the discipline. Um, and there's a lot of um, back and forth around memes like that, right? Like, um, and, and I agree with both sides, but what I don't agree with is the shaming. Um, and what I think is happening right now is this effective shaming of people who are embracing productivity and saying, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to get stuff done. And people are saying, you know, you need to just slow down because, you know, this is a pandemic. You don't need to be doing all that stuff right now. Frankly, if your body's telling you, you can do it, go and do it, go and embrace that work and, and fire up that engine. Um, and, uh, and if your body's telling you need rest and you know, you take that rest, but let's not be shaming each other into resting or into being overly productive, because I think that, especially for those who aren't homeschooling, um, there's, there's a hell of a lot of time out there now that, that you could be using into, into something really good and progressive. Georgia. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, no, look, I think, I think, you know, the, the line there that I absolutely love is just, you know, you do you. Um, I think that where we get into trouble, not just with this pandemic, but um, particularly in this pandemic, is that we have got a sort of universal influencing factor here. So the coronavirus is the reason that all of our lives have changed um, really dramatically in a really short period of time. But because it's the same universal force doesn't mean that the impact is uniform across every household and every individual. And I think what is really important to understand is that there are so many factors that, that will influence what this experience looks and feels like for any particular individual. Um, I think that there is, you know, for a lot of people, and I mean, I, I did write a piece that had a pretty, um, extraordinary response last week around that meme about you know if you don't have if you haven't done that dream project you've always dreamed of you didn't like the time you liked the discipline and I wrote and said you know discipline is not actually um, the only thing that will influence a person's outcome during this pandemic because for people that have got children at home paradoxically you've got less time in isolation for yourself or for your work than you've ever had because you are actually managing little people in a changed environment. But even within that, there is no single family's experience here. You've got, you know, I know of families where there is still, you know, in my house, because my husband works in health, he's still um, going to work. So we are not in the situation where we're both trying to work from home. We, I am fortunate that I have a job where we, I can work from home, but I've also got three kids here and I'm trying to, trying to juggle all of that. So for me, realistically, this is not going to be... Um, a time where I can engage in a sort of creative project that I would love. And that's fine because I, I have to just do what's in front of me. And I think for every single household, depending on the age and temperament of your children, depending on your financial situation, on the size of where you live, of how you live, whether you love other people or whether you are really happy in your own company, whether you are an entrepreneur and your brain is constantly worrying in the way that you are looking for opportunities or whether you are someone who just loves going to work and doing their job. Like there are so many variables that will influence a person's outcome. And I think that being mindful of that is really mm. important. Yeah. If I could just jump in on, on that being mindful piece, Georgie, I, I think that's really important. And if I could just give some advice on 
this new normal right now, whether it's, um, you know, homeschooling um, your kids like you are, Georgie and Angela, or whether you're, you know, an entrepreneur like me, you know, managing lots of projects and, and my brain is constantly worrying. I can't turn the damn thing off, but, you know, I try. Red wine helps. Um, <laughs> if I could just give some advice on, on how to manage this time, just be be mindful of what your habits are right now because the way in which you are you know going through day by day week by week will start to become your new normal and if there's any way that you feel you can add back a little bit of routine that is helpful for you um, or anything that keeps you on track um, to the structure that you would like to run your week by try to bring that back whether it's just this one hour, just this one time, just this one day, so that you can start to, you know, be performing or be productive in whatever new normal it is for you, um, given that this will probably last through for the next couple of months at least. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, my, my thing, I guess, is that um, I don't want employers to judge employees the same way during this period yeah. because everyone's situation is different and it wouldn't be fair for one person being able to be productive and excel in their role to be rewarded when another person just actually does not have the time or the ability to do that. So I, I feel like in my experience, I mean, it is really busy. Um, I went through that same period as you, as you Shivani, probably because we both run businesses that are both exposed in the same way. And we both um, w have lost a lot of revenue uh, during this yeah. period due to what's happening. So I went through that, that frantic mode of just working myself crazy over those first few weeks of March. Um, I barely slept. I just did whatever I could. And it was usually around the kids as well, just to see what opportunities I could find, what we could do how we could launch new projects and pivot and do all these sorts of things that I mean, we're frankly just not able to do <laughs> Like I have to be realistic. There are some things that we can do, but we can't make up for what we've been lost. But now that there is a little bit of a social, there is a bit of a safety net that's come from the government stimulus packages. There are opportunities for us to, to survive at this period, which is wonderful. But so that has allowed us to take the foot off the accelerator, to, to return, I guess, to a level of normal that is bearable that, um, that I can cope with. And I think like, I hope our team can cope with as well. Um, and that'll shift. And when it comes to productivity, one thing I've noticed is that I don't have any time for any new creative projects. I don't even have time for Netflix at the moment. It's taken me two and a half weeks to watch Tiger King. And I finally just watched the last 15 minutes of that last night, which was absolutely brilliant. But so it takes me oh. a long time to get through TV series, but I have noticed that, I have been able to you know, play with my kids a little bit more. Um, I actually started, I've been learning how to skateboard, which was not on my 2020 ambition list whatsoever, but my kids got skateboards and I just started practicing it with them. I was like, well, wow, maybe that's one little thing that I can try and learn to do with my kids at the moment. That would be kind of fun to do. So you find ways to be productive, productive where you never thought that you wanted to or could or have the time for that in the past. So it's just adjusting those expectations. I think the other thing that I was just thinking about when you said that, and I was thinking about it actually before we logged on to have this conversation, and it's, it's again, you, you, there's a really fine line between, I think that, that it is easy to get sucked into this idea that we can be continually improving in every mm. area of our life. You know, that if, if we're not sort of growing a business and we're not expanding our interests and expanding our kids' interests or um, 
you know, I think, I think it is easy to sort of fall, you know, I think social media certainly can accelerate that sort of narrative that if you're not constantly trying to improve it, everything in your life, you're, you're a failure. And I think at the best of times, that is something to be wary of. I think you have to be really aware of what is ambition and drive for one person is actually quite toxic and unhealthy for another person. I think that, um, and how that plays out and how that looks is different for every person. And I think in the pandemic, it, it's sort of even more important to recognise that everyone's baseline is different and there are different factors that go into that. And you, you know, I mean, it's not unusual, I don't think, and for a business owner to have spent those first few weeks trying to frantically figure out how can we recreate a brand new business and survive this um, with all of the uncertainty and stress and kids around. It's, you know, I just think, and, and actually, at that point, that probably wasn't realistic, you know, and not, and not because you're a failure, but because you're a human being and there are limits on what you can achieve in a certain point. And I just think it's important there, more importantly for how you treat yourself in what those expectations are and that it's okay to actually, do you know what, if we just, for lots of people, if we just emerge from this period with our families and marriages intact and being financially not backwards, you know, not destroyed, that's going to be a huge win. Yeah. I, I think, you know, coming out with our marriages and our families intact is, is certainly going to be um, a huge win. I think we're always talking about funny memes. Um, one of the hilarious ones that I saw on my newsfeed on this was, uh, uh, was one that said, how, all, how are all you married folk doing out there? I haven't seen, um, I'm so blessed or he's my everything um, coming up on my feeds lately. And I just spat out my coffee and burst out laughing because <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. My husband and I are constantly, you know, just in each other's faces right now. He's actually walked into the room three times as we've been recording this podcast and I've been, um, you know, jumping out of my skin thinking he might make some noise. So, um, yeah, look, it, it certainly happens. Look, on that, um, Georgie, I think what is so important, and this is going to sound really strange, because, but it's very rare, it's so important that people know themselves and know what truly drives them. And the reason why that could sound weird is because you would think, well, I've lived with myself all my life. I've been myself all my life. Don't you think I know myself? Actually, we don't because we, we generally go through life unconsciously, not consciously processing what is happening to us, what meaning are we deriving from that, and what impact is that having on our worldview, our perceptions, how is that affecting our emotions and everything that we process. And so for that reason, when we see things we're often judging our expectations of ourselves against someone else's um, measures of how they're driven. Mm -hmm. And when that happens and there's a disalignment, it is the most ripe time that you're going to feel, oh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not performing enough. I'm not driving enough because you're comparing it against someone else. But really, the, the benefit of being introspective and really understanding yourself and what you're driven by is you might have the clarity to go, but that's because that's what drives that person. That's because that other person is really driven by ambition and by goal setting. They are an achievement orientated person and that's how they derive personal value. I, on the other hand, am driven by affiliation. For me, my relationships are really important, but you're not putting that up on Instagram or whatever you've seen, you know? So, and so what you might need to do is to curate your life in a way where you're constantly self-validating 
the work that you're doing that really matters to you, whether it be journaling at the end of the night, tonight is how I fed into my relationships, tonight is how I fed into my self-care, because that's what really drives you. So I think that that clarity of self and knowledge is how you move around that, that mm. little death trap there, mm. mouse trap, whatever. Wow. Shivani, wise, once again. <laughs> <laughs> wise with your optimism and your positivity. And once again, we end this session with a bit of a counselling service from you. So thank you. <laughs> but um, that, we should probably wrap up now. So thank you so much, Georgie and Shivani. It's been really uh, good as usual and a lovely break once again to, to see people on a screen and to socialize in this virtual way as many of us are now socializing. So thank you so much. And thank you for listening. That is the Women's Agenda podcast for another week. Uh, just a reminder that you can subscribe to our daily newsletter. Just go to womensagenda.com.au forward slash subscribe. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.